Maybe that's him. We're right going to go live. Yep, there he is. Okay. I thought we were waiting for Mr. Even uh, with APEC, he's here. Right on time. Welcome, Commissioner. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I'm sorry. Nope. No, no, we're just, we're just glad to have you here, Commissioner. Okay, we're ready. Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Historic Preservation Commission hearing for Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. To enable public participation, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live, and we will receive public comment for each discussion and action item on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes, and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. We will take public comment from persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access lines. For those persons participating via WebEx, the password is HPC2023, and you'll need to use the raised hand icon to indicate you're interested in commenting on a particular item. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, you need to call area code 415. 655-0001 and enter access code 2664159-6231 and press pound twice. To comment, you must enter star three to raise your hand. And once you've raised your hand, you will hear the prompt that you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear that you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. Best practices are to call from a quiet location and please mute the volume on your television or computer. For those attending in person, please line up on the screen side of the room or to your right. Um, and I request that we all speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Finally, I'll ask that we silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. At this time, I'll take roll. Commission President Matsuda. Here. Commission Vice President Nagas Warren. Here. Commissioner Campbell. Here. Commissioner Foley. Aye. Commissioner Vergara. Here. And Commissioner Wright. Here. Thank you, Commissioners. First on your agenda is general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the Commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the Commission except agenda items. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the Commission will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the Commission for up to three minutes. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three. Seeing no request to speak, commissioners, general public comment is closed. And we can move on to department matters. Item one, department announcements. Good afternoon, commissioners. Richard Gray, department staff. I have no report. Thank you. Commission matters. Item two, commission comments and questions. Any uh, comments or questions from the commission? Commissioner Nuggis Warren. Um, I just wanted to report that I went to the <clears throat> Historic Preservation uh, Technical Advisory Committee that is working with the Port of San Francisco on the sea level rise um, considerations for the um, piers along the Embarcadero. Um, and it was an in interesting meeting. We've, um, President Matsuda and I have gone to several meetings um, um, regarding this. It's a long-term project where um, the city, um, particularly the port, is considering, along with the Army Corps of Engineers, how to best um, address the issues of sea level rise for the pier structures, which include the shed um, at the back of the pier and the bulkhead, which is facing the Embarcadero, and the Embarcadero itself. Um, <clears throat> 
It's interesting because they're looking at multiple different options for how to manage the rise, um, including um, raising the shed buildings and the bulkheads um, using either piers or doing fill underneath or floating structures. Um, and you can imagine that it's quite a effort to understand and engineer something like that. So um, it, it will go on through the next century. Um, and uh, they talked about you know the life cycle of the, the sheds um, and replacement of the sheds at some point. And they will be publishing a feasibility study and a potential um, uh, you know a potential approach um, to the work in late January, um, which will solicit public comment. Um, and um, we, we hope that um, the planning department will also consider having them come and present at the Historic Preservation Commission. Um, currently, what's, uh, what's been studied is how many resources we have along the Embarcadero which is about 19 structures out of possibly 29 structures, so more than half. So it'll be of interest to us as well. Um, and yeah, that's just what, that was what um, we discussed this week. Thank you. Thank you. Could Mr. Sucre, could you maybe clarify for us the, I guess, the purview of the HBC over what is happening at the Port Art? Sure. The port is a little bit of an odd entity because right. it's quasi-state. So in most cases, I do not think the HPC has jurisdiction over port properties, given its kind of dual role between the local and state. Mm -hmm. so. But we would be, if, if you could maybe ask Mr. Uh, Pius to come and, and present, I think that would be good, because I think at least our comments would be considered, right? In the yeah, correct. The port has always been a good partner with us on anything related to historic, and so obviously, you know, they have a preservation planner on staff, uh, Mark Paez, um, who was formerly with the planning department way back when. Um, so they've always been kind at uh, accepting requests from yeah, the Yeah, and he's been great in keeping us informed, but 19 out of the 29 structures, thats those are a lot of structures that we should at least have provide some le level of comment. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Vergara. Uh, I just had a question for uh, Mr. Sucre, if there's anything new on the uh, uh, addition of San Francisco landmarks to the State Register of Historic Resources. Sure. Um, I've reached out to the SHPO, the, um, Julie Polanco, the, um, uh, the California State Historic Preservation Officer. Her and her staff are convening right now, and we're hoping to schedule a meeting in the next couple of weeks. Great. Thanks. Thank you. Um, and then I wanted to um, just formally, I guess, do we do we agendize uh, the appointment of Commissioner Campbell to the ARC and and have me be removed from that committee? I mean, personally, I don't think that your appointment requires agendizing. I think the city attorney's office has a different opinion, but um, <laughs> uh, fortunately, we don't. There's no time press so we could agendize it at your next hearing and then, and then make that appointment. Just to make sure that we are formally acknowledging that. Thank you. Um, very good, commissioners. If there's nothing further, we can move on to item three, remote public mm. comment. Right. So commissioners, um, as you know, the Board of Supervisors adopted a resolution ceasing 
remote public comment in response to some uh, inappropriate remarks they had received. Um, to my surprise, and I think to many surprise, the mayor's office has now instructed all commissioners, commissions, and boards to adopt the same policy. And I want to read into the record the email that I received from the mayor's office. The instructions from the mayor's office are that all commissions shall also adopt the Board of Supervisors' new rule. In other words, no remote public comment except when necessary to accommodate a disability. Uh, this also means that all presenters from departments will need to attend commission meetings in person. Uh, there's some other language, but essentially the, the mayor's office is instructing us to adopt the same policy. Um, I think the city attorney's office will advise you this is not an ordinance, this is not law, this is, um, uh, and, and there's no real, the commission, the, the mayor's office didn't really provide us with any reason, although the only reason I can imagine is for there to be consistency throughout the city and county of San Francisco as to how we receive public comment. And it would fall in line with invigorating more public participation in Civic Center, um, you know, people walking on the street and so forth. Um, so I don't have any other information for you. I would, I would recommend in this particular instance, um, we make a motion and take a formal vote. There's no resolution that, we, that you will be adopting. There was no resolution that you adopted in March when uh, we stopped adopting resolutions for emergency remote public hearings to continue remote public comment. So uh, I checked in with the city attorney's office and they feel that that's an appropriate way to, to go forward if you so choose to. Again, I mean, the, commission, the, the mayor's office language is, is quite strict in using shall, but ultimately it, it is still your decision as to how you want to proceed. Um, I do know that uh, the PUC, the SFMTA board, um, the Rec Park Commission, the Health Commission, among others, are following suit. And the Planning Commission? The Planning Commission will be taking this matter up tomorrow. And when is this effective? Well, it will be effective when you make it effective. I so um, I, I would, well, fortunately, your first hearing, your next hearing is in December. And so when after receiving this email, I instructed our notification staff to remove the remote public comment language from all notices. So December would be the soonest you could you could implement that. Um, so with that, uh, we should probably take public comment. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd like to hear public comment. My main concern would be for those who have a disability and would not be able to. Well, and well, how would we know this in would advance, not right? this would not preclude members of the public with disabilities that um, request advance uh, reasonable accommodation. So they would contact my office. My phone number is on the front page of this and the Planning Commission's agenda, as it has been for, for since I've been secretary, um, to contact me directly, or they can email me or my staff requesting uh, a reasonable accommodation. And with that, I would get their personal information and unmute them and allow them to submit their testimony. Just um, for uh, individuals with uh, who acknowledge that they have a disability, but what about those who are... Um, maybe elderly and have very little access to participate? Well, I think I'll work with the city attorney's office as to what would qualify. Um, I, I would ask. I, it's quite honestly impossible for me to 
determine right. whether or not the person right. is being honest with me. Right. Um, but on the other hand, people who are sick with the flu, such as yourselves, or, or with COVID today, that's not uh, an appropriate request for reasonable accommodation. Um, if you had the flu or COVID, you would simply miss that hearing. Okay. So with that, we should open up public comment, members of the public. Uh, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this item. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no members of the public in the chambers coming forward, let's go to our remote caller. Go ahead, caller. Oh, hi. Good morning or good afternoon. It's Georgia Shittish. Um, I, I hope that you'll, you'll consider at least delaying this until uh, the spring. I mean, I know Ms. Triona just said, well, if you have the flu or COVID, you, you, you have to stay home. But it is, we are going into the winter. There's an uptick. You have very, uh, a lot of important uh, agenda items coming up that it's good to hear from the public. Um, I think, you know, what you do is important because the Planning Commission may do the same thing and they have even more important items uh, coming up on their agenda. And I think that you need to hear from as broad uh, a spectrum of the public as possible. I mean, for years I've heard this, this line about how only retirees can come down to City Hall and speak to, to decision makers. And maybe that's true, but now with this remote hearing, which is probably one of the good things that's come out of COVID, is everyone can speak to you. And people that have uh, uh, conflicts of time who you may want to hear from or other responsibilities because they have a phone in their hand, they can call you from wherever. So I hope at least you'll consider delaying it to the spring and uh, set uh, a tone, a good tone for the Planning Commission as well, since you two have two very specific uh, areas that you deal with that I think are very important for the future of the city. Um, so that's it. Thanks a lot. Okay, last call for public comment on this item. Seeing no additional requests to speak, Commissioners, public comment is closed. This matter is now before you. Thank you, Commissioner Foley. Thank you, President Matsuda. I, I think I heard uh, what the remote um, public comment was when board president decided he didn't want to have this happen anymore and it was pretty terrible. I, I do believe that if you have a disability or you're a senior, you're, you can't get out of the house. I think that's a reasonable accommodation. I think we should be able to work with the city attorney on that. But I think, you know, a, outside of that reasonable accommodation for seniors or someone with a disability, we actually should not have remote public comment. That's my personal opinion. Thank you, Commissioner Wright. Um, yeah, thank you, um, President Masuda. Uh, I just wanted to add uh, my thoughts on this and, and uh, it, it is a little confusing to me, um, um, as uh, Jonas also mentioned, but um, it, in, in a way it seems to limit access of the public to preservation. Um, and issues uh, that are even maybe broader than preservation around the city. Um, I do understand uh, wanting to reactivate um, Civic Center um, in particular, um, if that is a reason. I don't know if it's appropriate to request 
reasoning um, from the mayor's office. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, in my opinion, uh, I think the uh, continuation of uh, remote public comment uh, would be good. I, I, I would add, though, that uh, sometimes it can be hard to understand people who are speaking uh, you know, on a speaker from home or, or the speakers in the room, depending on, on the speaker and how, how clear it is. Um, sometimes it's a little uh, harder to hear. So I, I think that that's a consideration also. Thank you. Commissioner Nugas Warren. Um, I think those are all good points um, of my fellow commissioners. I, I, I do feel like it opens up um, a broader base of public comment, um, and especially with various people that working and not being able to be in person. Um, uh, although there are other ways to communicate, as with letters and emails prior to the hearing um, and after the hearing. Um, so those are other ways to communicate. I do feel that vocalizing um, the opinions or you know or your you know public comment is is almost uh, is is very poignant um, you know for each of the issues um, I think it it gives a voice to it and sometimes with emails and um, letter communication it can be repetitive because of form letters and so forth um, so uh, it's an interesting conundrum. I, I think I would be supportive if remote calling were to continue, um, but I'd like to hear what other commissioners have to say. Commissioner Campbell and Commissioner Bergero, do you have any comments about this? Other than to say that if it were uh, put in the form of a motion, I'd vote to go ahead and restrict public uh, uh, remote comment. Yeah, I'm a little torn myself because I think we live in a hybrid world now and a lot of people are remote and we are able, through the last couple of years, um, learn to figure out a way to accommodate that. Um, so part of me is pro keeping the call-in option as well. However, if there are workarounds, right? You can always find someone to represent your voice. You can write a letter. Um, this is a tricky one. Uh, Commissioner Foley, if I can ask a question to our city attorney first, um, whether any commission has just decided to continue remote public comment, and, and what ramifications would that be? With Deputy City Attorney Peter Milianich, I'm actually not aware of any of whether any commissions have decided um, since the mayor's uh, email to continue remote public comment. That is something we can check on. In terms of ramifications, uh, there are none. You wouldn't be violating the law by continuing remote public comment it's within your authority to choose to do so. Um, but you would, of course, have a, a public comment procedure that may differ from other commissions and boards in the city. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you. Commissioner Foley? So I, I actually believe... I would like to see the mayor actually have everyone come back to work. I would like to see people in general come back to work um, even just four days a week. I actually think people not coming back to work is destroying uh, the fabric of the retail ground floor and small businesses. And I think it's really hurting young people being mentored. So 
I'm actually really pro um, not having this continue, except we have a very broad brush stroke around people with disabilities or seniors that can't get out. But I think we actually need to engage again. I think it's really easy to hide behind a phone. I think it's really easy to hide behind a door. And I think we need to talk about things in person. I think we need to interact. So um, I make a motion to not have any more public comment, excluding uh, people with disabilities or seniors that have problems with mobility. Remote public comment. Is there a second? I'll second that. Is there any further deliberation? Seeing none. I, I think there might be. Oh. I'm wondering whether we should postpone the vote until we see what other commissions are doing. Um, and uh, that's my only suggestion. Is that a motion to continue? Yes. Yes. Motion to continue remote public comment. Um, a motion to eliminate remote public comment. To. Well, will all the commissions meet before our, our next? Well, I maybe mean, just uh, before I, I, we could get more information from the other commissioners, and yeah. if any of the commissions are planning to continue remote. I mean, some commissions meet monthly. Some commissions meet biweekly. Some commissions so meet maybe to every continue week. it until next year, or whenever we have a full, I think, March view of what other commissions. You want to continue are doing. it to December sixth. I would say continue it to January. Is that the third? So January, your first hearing in January is the third. And so on December 6th, you'll take up your 2024 hearing schedule. I'm thinking maybe January 3rd might get canceled, mm. being so close to the New Year holiday. So. Um, if you like, we can continue it to January 17th. Motion is, to continue it to January 17th. Is there a second? Second. Okay, because the, as a procedural matter, it will supersede the motion to um, um, cease remote public comments. So we'll take up the matter of the continuance first. So on the matter of the continuance, there is a motion that has been seconded to continue this conversation to January 17th. On that motion, Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Vergara? No. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. Commissioner Agus Warren? Yes. And Commission President Matsuda? Yes. So move, Commissioners. That motion passes five to one with Commissioner Vergara voting against to continue this matter to January 17th, at which time we will take up the conversation again. Thank you. Very good, commissioners. On uh, That will place us under consideration of items proposed for continuance. Item four, case number 2023-000-799-COA at 740 Tennessee Street. A certificate of appropriateness is proposed for continuance to December 6th, 2023. 
further commissioners under your regular calendar staff is requesting a continuance for items 6A and B for case numbers 2022-001043COA and VAR at 1737 Webster Street. Uh, you were to consider the certificate of appropriateness and the zoning administrator is here to consider the variance, but now it's being proposed for continuance to December 6th, 2023 as well. I have no other items proposed for continuance, so should we should take public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission uh, on either of these matters, only on the matter of continuance. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Uh, hi, my name is Harlan Crystal. I'm the property owner at uh, 1737 Webster. Uh, I understand the reason for continuance. I accept it. I just wanted to uh, make sure that there isn't any perception at all that like we withheld information from our neighbors in any way um, or didn't communicate with our neighbors. Um, I was surprised. I was very surprised to hear anybody was having trouble like accessing the materials on Monday. And um, we've done our best to like reach out to neighbors. And um, I just want to make sure I said that and people didn't have some sort of perception. Like that. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, Last uh, call for public comment. B to be continued. Um, Jonas, I have a question. Do I need to recuse myself from a you, continuance? <laughs> I, personally, I don't think you do, but the city attorney is advising that it would be I the see. best So, commissioners, I need yourself. to recuse myself from uh, the discussion of a continuance for agenda items 6A and B. So we should just take up those two matters separately. Okay. So I guess Vote. we start with agenda item four. Okay. Motion to continue agenda item four, 740 Tennessee Street. Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to continue item four to December 6th. Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Vergara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. And Commissioner Nuggets Warren? Yes. So moved, commissioners, that motion passes unanimously five to zero on item six. And so, commissioners, I need to recuse myself from items, agenda items 6A and B. I'm sorry, Commissioner Matsuda on item 4. I'm, uh, yes. <laughs> sorry. Yes. Um, you're within 500 feet, so Correct. there's really no reason for a vote. So we can just have a motion to continue. M motion to continue. Thank you. Is there a second? Second. Thank you, commissioners, on that motion to continue item 6A to December 6th. Commissioner Campbell. Yes. Commissioner Vergara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. And Commissioner Nuggets Warren? Yes. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously five to zero. Zoning Administrator would say you. I will also continue the variance item under 6B to the December 6th hearing. Very good. Commissioners, with that, that'll place us under your regular calendar for items 5A, B, C, and D for case numbers 2023-00-9850-LBR, 2023-00-985-1-LBR, 2023-00-9852-LBR, 2023-00-9853-LBR for the properties at 3200 16th Street, 555 Columbus Avenue, 840 Clement Street, and 801 Tolan Street, respectively. These are all legacy business registry applications. Commissioners, before we begin, I just want to introduce you to two of our new staff that are joining you for the first time. Um, joining us today are Will McCullum, who has been working on our District 1 and 2 development review team since September of 2023. Before joining the department, Will was an architectural conservator at Architectural Resources Group, where they worked on a conditions assessment reports, historic structure reports, and 
uh, repair drawings for landmarks throughout the Bay Area. Also joining us is Honora Montano, who has been working on our District 3 current planning teams also since September. Uh, before joining the department, Honora was a planner with the California Coastal Commission, where she worked on coastal development review and long-range planning in the greater Bay Area. So please welcome them. Great. Welcome. Welcome. Hello, Commissioners. Elena Moore, planning staff. We have four legacy business applications before you today. Staff will provide their presentations and afterwards business representatives and members of the public will have a chance to share their stories during public comment. I'll hand it over to Lizzie now for our first legacy business. Thank you. Good afternoon, Elizabeth Mao planning staff. The first legacy business application we have is for Elixir, a 33-year-old business operating in the second oldest continually operated saloon in San Francisco, located at 3216th Street. This saloon has existed since at least 1858, at the time run mostly by Irishmen from the predominantly Irish community in the mission. In 1906, the great earthquake and fire burned the saloon to the ground, but the business owner at the time rebuilt the building right away and reopened the saloon in 1907. During Prohibition, the barroom was kept active as a soft drink parlor. Over the years, the bar's name has changed numerous times and has had over a dozen owners. The bar has been doing business since 1990 as Jack's Elixir Bar and then just Elixir since 2003. Elixir is open seven days a week, providing the local community with beverages, community and hospitality, and a beautiful Victorian atmosphere of mahogany and redwood. The bar offers classic whiskey cocktails, traditional cocktails, beer and wine, trivia happy hour, ind industry night, ticketed cocktail classes and tasting events for individuals and small groups, private group events, a Whiskey Geeks membership group, and a cocktail club. Elixir is committed to maintaining being a bar committed to hospitality, community, and superior beverages. It's projecting signed cabinet, hand-carved 19th century mahogany back bar and bar, assorted San Francisco artifacts, and historic interior decoration. I'd like to read into the record that they have also stated that they are committed to safeguarding their leaded glass windows. Staff supports this application and recommends a resolution to add Elixir to the Legacy Business Registry. My colleague Honora will present next. Good afternoon, commissioners. Honora Montano, planning staff. Our second legacy business application is for El Palayo, located in North Beach on Columbus Avenue. El Palayo is an Italian restaurant with Argentinian influence, best known for their grilled chicken. It was opened by husband and wife, Marta and Giuseppe Castellucci in the heart of North Beach in 1984. Today, the restaurant is run by Marta and Giuseppe's daughter and is well known for its generous portions, reasonable prices, and family-friendly atmosphere. The department is very supportive of the application and supports a resolution recommending El Palayo to the Legacy Business Registry. I will pass it off to Will next. Good afternoon. Um, Will McCallum, planning staff. Uh, the third legacy business application today is for Heroes Club, a 35-year-old business that specializes 
in Asian nostalgic science fiction and anime fine art collectible toys. Robin Kwok founded Heroes Club in 1989 and has been custom building, sculpting, and painting model kits for several decades. His natural ability in building and airbrush paintings is internationally recognized and has attracted famous patrons including Robin Williams, Michael Jackson, and Guillermo del Toro. As the only shop in the city that specializes in custom Asian nostalgic science fiction and anime fine art collectible toys, Heroes Club plays an important role for the Asian American community in San Francisco, introducing and preserving anime culture for the community. Located on Clement Street in the inner Richmond for 35 years, Heroes Club is an anchor business for the bustling commercial district. The department is very supportive of this application and supports a resolution recommending the Heroes Club to the Legacy Business Registry. I will now hand it over to Edgar. Good afternoon, members of the commission. Edgar Oropesa with department staff. Before you is a request to adopt a resolution recommending Friends of Scrap for placement on the Legacy Business Registry. Friends of Scrap, located at 801 Tolan Street, is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to inspire creativity and environmental stewardship by promoting the creative reuse of materials that have been traditionally discarded as waste. Scrap is the nation's oldest creative reuse center and was founded in 1976 by Jefferson Award winner Anne Marie Thielsen and artist Ruth Asawa, initially to provide resources to the San Francisco public school students and teachers. Friends of Scrap is committed to maintaining place, an industrial warehouse where the general public could go and donate unused items that scrappers recycle into art making supplies. Place, it's a haven for scrappers filled with treasures and recyclables of every type, kind. Place, it's retail space. The depot is where teachers and the public could shop for art making materials and attend community workshops. The department recommends that the commission adopt a resolution recommending Friends of Scrap be adopted by the small commission as into the Legacy Business Registry. This concludes all the Legacy Business um, presentations and we're available for public comment. Thank you. Very good, with that we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on any of these Legacy Business Registry applications. Good afternoon, commissioners. Woody Labounty from San Francisco Heritage. Of course, we strongly support all of these legacy business applications, but I wanna particularly call out two of them uh, that I consider incredibly unique businesses um, and really adding to San Francisco's cultural vitality. Uh, one is Scrap, which I can tell you, teachers, friends of mine, uh, artists have been using for decades and it's just in a really an amazing place and a community um, minded place you know sometimes they'll find historic materials and they'll give me a call and say hey can you find a good home for this we have some amazing stuff here the second is heroes and what i would have to say is you know we feel really good about legacy businesses but they can also make us feel really old because um, i remember when heroes opened and it is an amazing business that is very unique. You're not going to find another place like it. Um, and so it's just a, it's a great to see it come up in front of you today. So uh, San Francisco Heritage recommends all of these, and uh, we thank you for your consideration. Thank you.
Good afternoon, President Matsuda and Commissioners. Kelly Groth with Supervisor Chan's office speaking in support of item 5C, Heroes Club. Um, Supervisor Chan was very honored to nominate Heroes Club as a legacy business, um, which has been on Clement Street since 1989 and specializes in Asian nostalgic science fiction and anime fine art collectible toys. Robin Kwok uh, has shared his talent, artistry, and passion for anime and science fiction with the community, and we are fortunate um, that the store has continued to carry on as a local treasure through Yi Mei Wong's ownership. With that, we ask for your support. Thank you. Thank you. Please. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, Thank you very much to the Historic Preservation Commission to have the opportunity to speak uh, on behalf of SCRAP. My name is Felipe Colina. I'm the Director of Operations. First, I'd like to thank Rick for working with us and producing such a wonderful narrative that captures SCRAP's history in the city. I would also like to thank uh, Supervisor Shimon Walton and his staff for his support. I would also like to thank the very recent comments from the Historic um, from, from the Heritage Commission about Scrap's importance. So as was mentioned, Scrap was founded close to 50 years ago by Jefferson Award winner Anne-Marie Thalen with the support of Ardith Rusasawa, who was our board president for many years. They were passionate about supporting arts education for the children and students of San Francisco. And in the 70s, they took that initiative to put artists back to works to divert art materials and supplies from the waste stream and to put them to good use at affordable prices. This mission is still relevant and perhaps even more relevant today as SCRAP continues to support and foster the cultural fabric of San Francisco. This year, we will welcome 30,000 visits from students, artists, teachers, and individuals of all walks of life that want to express themselves creatively. I personally invite you to come to Scrap in the Bayview with your families and neighbors. Our, you will really, really enjoy it and find something special. Moreover, we will divert 300 tons of materials that could have gone to the landfill, and our arts enrichment programs will reach over 1,000 students in the southeast part of San Francisco where the need is greatest. Thank you very much for your support. Once again, best. Thank you. Okay, seeing no additional members of the public in the chambers, let's go to our remote caller. Go ahead, caller. Caller, your line has been unmuted. Hello, uh, can, you, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hi, this is H. Joseph Ehrman. I'm the owner of Elixir. Um, I wanted to thank you all for putting our business forward and uh, considering this. And, and I'd like to thank Senator Scott Weiner for recommending me when he was supervisor and apologizing for letting this sit on my desk for so many years. Uh, supervisor Mandelman for supporting us. But I just wanted to say that um, I'm very proud to own this piece of San Francisco history, and I've poured 20 years into researching that history, continually building upon it, including some stuff I stumbled upon yesterday, and that I will continue to be an active member of the community and develop the story of this historic spot um, as I go forward and doing whatever I can to be more in involved and continue to be involved in the city 
um, beyond all of that I have done in, in all of this time. So um, also let you know that I'm available for any questions if anybody wanted to reach out to me. Thank you very much. Okay, last call for public comment. Seeing no additional requests to speak, Commissioner's public comment is closed in this matter. These items are now before you. Thank you. Commissioner Foley? So I think um, we all up here love this, love this legacy business. Um, it, and I, I continue to repeat myself a lot um, around the fabric of the community, but I never knew about scrap. And I'm gonna take my Shame six, on you. I am a terrible, <laughs> by the way, I'm a terrible human being. <laughs> Uh, because of that, and I recognize it. So I will be taking my son there, uh, who's a 16-year-old artist, and he's a fabulous young man, so I really appreciate hearing about Scrap. Uh, Heroes, I never knew about that, so I take mm. another hit of being a terrible human being. I'll be taking my son there, too. Um, Elixir, I have drank there. Thank you very much. Uh, I think we all understand <laughs> that I'm a good drinker. And um, for the food of polio, I've been there, too. I actually live uh, not too far from there, and I eat there. So thank you very much, all of you. We really appreciate you. And Rick and Woody the Bounty and Heritage really appreciate the work you do. So thank you very much. Thank you. Commissioner Wright. Hey, yes, thank you. Um, I want to thank all of the businesses who are uh, <clears throat> who have uh, undergone this application process. Um, we really appreciate you. Uh, the I, I feel like I repeat myself a lot as well, but um, you know, these businesses, the legacy businesses of San Francisco are the backbone of our community, um, our neighborhoods, our city. And um, I, I am actually um, familiar with uh, Elixir and with uh, Scrap. Uh, my office has donated, but I, I have not been there. So I'm excited to come see the space uh, uh, and I'm now also excited to visit um, uh, you know, Palio and the, uh, the Heroes Club. So thank you very much. Thank you. Commissioner Campbell. I just want to say I concur with my fellow commissioners in your sentiment. Great. Commissioner Rigera, any comments? Just such a diversity of... Uh, of businesses just like San Francisco and it's just wonderful that the owners of these businesses care that much to go through the trouble of that long application uh, form and uh, it's just wonderful that that they represent San Francisco as well as they do We're, they have a good advisor <laughs> mr. Carrillo thank you very much for always um, being the advocate and supporting and really highlighting the richness of these stories I, as the commissioner said, um, this is my favorite part of our job as the Historic Preservation Commission. I have not been to Elixir, but I would love to go uh, with you, Commissioner Foley, one day. Um, I, I really think that we need to, I don't know how we could do it, but because this is uh, the second oldest saloon, right, or the spot of an oldest saloon since 1858. I think the oldest saloon came before us. Is that right, Mr. Sucre? Yeah, the, I think the oldest, and now we're dealing with the second oldest. But if there's some way we can continue to highlight them or that history as well as the current um, owners of the businesses, that would be great. And I don't know how to go about that, but it, it just makes that story much more richer. Uh, particularly for that space. And then I love um, the slogan of delicious grilled chicken marked with love. That's, that's going to go far, and I'm definitely going to check that out. But 
I'm Japanese American, so I grew up with Gozira. And uh, I grew up knowing this uh, thing that probably uh, Ruth Asawa always talked about called motainai. It's a Japanese term that you don't waste. And so I have gone to scrap a lot, donated as well as received. I'm not an artist, but I love dealing with different kinds of things. And scrap is the place where it allows me to affordably afford to do that. So um, thank you all for your hard work and we hope that you will continue. And then Mr. Sucre, these are really unique, intangible types of shows, of businesses. I'm just wondering, like looking on to maybe the next phase of how we can continue to support and preserve them, that we need to start kind of going along the conversation of our cultural district discussion, how we can start to really think about these intangible assets that we have that don't fall into particular nice categories. So thank you. Com Commissioner Vergara, did you have something? There was an article in either the Chronicle or maybe uh, uh, SF Standard a week ago about the legacy business program that there isn't, there's no longer money for plaques, that from now on legacy businesses will have to pay for their own plaques. Is there anything that we can do about that? that I don't know. Getting the plaques up that are up now took a long time. Okay. Right? <laughs> right? Um, and I think that I think that the small office of small business, or uh, I don't know, Mr. Carrillo could speak to this, but I think there had to, had to have some choices made, whether we support them monetarily or you know, um, or acknowledge them yeah. visibly. I'm not sure, but I I would think that that was one of the decision making processes that went through Commissioner Foley, and I didn't want to speak for you, Mr. Carrillo, if you want to add to that. So I'm I'm going to be on my bandwagon here, Mr. Carrillo. On all the information you have for legacy businesses, is it digital? Can you could we access it via via digital? Planning staff is nodding their head. They're the team digital. Um, Richard Carrillo, legacy business program manager. Are you referring to the applications themselves? Those are all online for or, sure. Or actually, just all the information behind the applications. I mean, really talking about what the business is, what they do for the community. Um, I think most of um, what they provide to me ends up in the applications, so that that's the uh, crux of the you know the information that we have. I mean, um, we used to um, ask the applicants to provide us with lots of stuff, and we simplified the application, and we just tried to um, find things online and whatever we can't find online, we ask them for. So um, some of the older applications, we have a lot more in our files, um, but um, over the last couple of years, we've have a, just pretty much what you see is what we get. Um, Could I ask planning staff a quick question? Elena Moore. So could, is there a way if we were able to get a QR code, because we know that's my like little thing I love, is there a way we get a QR code for legacy business so they could put on legacy business and that could actually link up the information that you all have in your in your database? Is there any, is there something we could do there? And we don't have to make a decision today, but. I think it'd be a really interesting way. If we, if we can't get them a plaque, how can we let these people know when they're walking by that it is a legacy business, there's all this history, and it's the old, second oldest bar, and you should go drink there now. Right. There is a little seal, right, our, our decals. Is that correct, Mr. Carrillo? They, they do get their legacy business seal, yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I think, an important icon for people to notice and acknowledge. But Just something to think about. If yes. we could add a QR code to that seal someday or think about it, that'd be great. Yeah, um, Elena Moore, planning staff. All of the application material is 
linked online um, on SFPIM. And so we have that link and it's publicly accessible and that has the application material with all the photos, histories about those. Um, so we could definitely translate that into um, QR code format. Um, I'm just not sure what the um, procedure would be with displaying that, but it could be made into a QR code, yes. Commissioner Foley, this is a long-standing recommendation from a previous commissioner. In fact, uh, commission, former Commissioner Perlman would made, made the same recommendation after visiting, I believe it was Philadelphia, where they have a self-walking tour where members of the public could simply tag something and they would get a rich history without having to formally uh, go on a tour, just walking through the city. I think it's a extremely um, excellent idea. Uh, it just takes some funding and some wherewithal to, to make it happen. And it th doesn't seem like it'd be too difficult, but. Um, I'm gonna continue to push this rock up the hill, Commission Secretary. Great. I commend and you, And I appreciate your support. Good. Fantastic you, but what you couldn't do now is you can go to um, the legacy business, the small business, and, and hit the little flags and get information. And then you also have it categorized, right? Which is what I usually do. Again, Richard Crowell, Legacy Business Program Manager. Um, so yes, we do have a website. Um, we have the Legacy Business Program website, which is sf.gov slash legacy business, but we have the Legacy Business Registry website that you're referring to, which is um, legacybusiness.org. And you can, um, we have a spotlight business on the front page. Um, and then uh, we, you can go to the registry page and you can click on the business. You can also sort them by neighborhood or business type or business name or any combination of the three. And then we have press on that website as well. Yeah, I, 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 if I can handle it, I know you can handle it. Um, and then to answer your question about the budget, uh, yeah, we, we do have some budget restrictions, especially with um, some of the budget cuts that have occurred, you know, this fiscal year and expected in the next fiscal year. So we've been really concentrating on doing things that um, um, showcase legacy businesses without uh, spending a lot of uh, time or money. So we have um, a partnership with SF Heritage. Um, with, we have a Heritage Happy Hour every second Thursday of the month from five to seven at different legacy business bars. Um, we are, we did the plaques. Um, we have 50 of those, 45 are up. Um, we also are doing um, passport promotion. So we're working on that. We have 71 businesses that are interested. So people can go around and get stamps at the different businesses. And maybe we'll have um, gifts that we can give to people who get, you know, 25 out of 50 out of the 70, 71. Um, and then I think there's a few other promotions that we're working on. We definitely have on our to-do list um, QR codes, you know, on our wish list of projects, and um, we haven't forgotten about that, so I think that's a really good idea. But yeah, we are really trying to, oh, we also have um, Perfect Legacy Business Days that we just started doing in uh, June. So we have about six neighborhoods now and spend a whole day in Chinatown or North Beach or Castro, <coughs> Inner Sunset. Mission, and there's one more. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna be doing Union Square in December, trying to showcase different neighborhoods as we get enough legacy businesses in those neighborhoods to showcase them. What was the uh, event that you had at Anchor? Um, that is our annual legacy annual. business mixer. That's um, in May. That was great. I highly recommend the commissioners yeah. attend that. It's and wonderful, if, if, and we all got a mug. If we don't do that, we'll, sub, uh, we'll have a, um, 
Heritage Happy Hour that month. So one, one way or the other, we'll definitely do something on that second Thursday in May, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Don't forget us. I definitely will not. Thank you. Thank Commissioner you. Wright? Uh, yes, I, w I was just going to, I think it was all kind of mentioned now, but um, repeat that uh, that it's all on the website that uh, that was just mentioned, and that I believe it's you can map it too, right? Or is there a map that we're with pins? Uh, um, yeah, they're on the registry web, yeah. uh, legacybusiness.org. You can go to the registry page, and all the businesses are shown on a map. So you can uh, click on, it's a little torch mm -hmm. from our logo, and you can click on the torch, and the business information pops up. Um, there's also a description, and you can click on a link that also goes to their legacy business registry application so you can see everything about the business. Great. Thank Great. You. Yeah. So we're, we're getting there, but the, the QR code is, is a, a good push. Um, and I guess, uh, just need to get this legacybusiness.org um, out to a broader audience. So hopefully those who are listening today can spread the word. Yes. Thank you. Commissioner Nagas Warren. I'm not a technical expert, but since you already have a website with the map and the information on it, is there a way to make just a printable template that says this is a legacy business and has a QR code that links to your website, and then they can see all the businesses, including the one that they're standing in front of? So the, the point of, um, you know, Commissioner Foley's comment is when you're standing in front of a business and they have a sign that says this is a legacy business and you see that they have a QR code or website then they can go to that website and it's even more fruitful to have all of them on there and then they can click on the one that they're at but also see the other ones and it's a simple thing like just that one QR code to your website that's it yeah I think it's a good idea yeah Yep. So that would be just a start that they can just, you know, if you have like a graphic that you can create and then all of the legacy businesses just need to print that out and put it on their window or whatnot. So our goal is to do our passport promotion for small business month, which is May. So then maybe after that, you know, it's definitely on our to-do list for sure. Great. Thank you. Commissioner Wright, did you have? Yeah, I, I forgot to say one thing. Um, and that that is that I, I know that there is uh, definitely value in, in advertising and getting the word out um, for the businesses. But uh, in terms of spending money on plaques, uh, it would be great if um, you know whatever resources are, are available and possible to actually direct to the businesses. Um, you know that's a consideration too. Thank you, commissioners. Do I hear a motion? I'll make that motion to approve all four businesses. Second. Thank you, commissioners. If there's nothing further, there's a motion that has been, a, that has been seconded to adopt recommendations for approval on that motion. Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Vergara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. Commissioner Nagas Warren? Yes. And Commission President Matsuda? Yes. So move, commissioners, that motion passes unanimously six to zero. Commissioners, that will place us as items 6A and B have been continued, that'll place us on item 7 for case number 2023-008267-DES for the Grand Theater at 2665 Mission Street. This is a landmark designation. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners, Pilar LaValle Department staff. Before I start my presentation, which will take me a minute because I have to load the slides, um, Anna Herrera from Supervisor Ronan's office, who sponsored the, who initiated um, this landmark designation, is here to say a few words. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, Anna Herrera, I'm here from Supervisor Ronan's office in District 9. I will be very brief today. My goal is uh, simply highlight Supervisor Ronan's strong support uh, for recognizing this historic theater in the mission for landmark status. Although planning staff's report notes that the Grand Theater does not, does not address underrepresented landmark types prioritized by the commission, it's important to note that the location of the theater in the Mission Corridor and the Calle 24 Cultural District are significant um, as the theater and its marquee are a treasured community asset and have been valued by the Mission community for decades, going back to its days operating as a single screen movie theater for working class families in the neighborhood. Uh, we're really grateful to the Gray Area, a nonprofit digital arts organization that's been in the space for nearly 10 years um, and has been a great steward of the Grand Theater and most recently crowdfunded over $50,000 to reignite the Grand Theater's neon marquee sign. It would be really great to keep the momentum going for the Grand Theater uh, with your support for landmarking status today. Thank you to planning staff and Barry through and the rest of the gray area team. Thank you. Good afternoon again, commissioners, Pilar of the Valley Department staff. Uh, as you've heard before you, the item is the item before you is consideration of landmark recommendation for designation of Grand Theater in the Mission District. And then, yes. Grand Theater, uh, designed by two uh, extremely renowned theater architects, was constructed in 1940. The last movie theater built in San Francisco prior to World War II, the Grand Theater was the youngest and most southernmost of the theaters that composed the former Mission Miracle Mile Theater District, one of the city's most important theater districts. It operated as a single screen theater from 1940 through 1988. From the early 1990s to 2014, it operated as a discount retail store. And then since 2014, Gray Area has occupied the building. Grand Theater is historically significant for its association with the city's network of neighborhood theaters, particularly the concentration of movie theaters in the Mission District during the early to mid 20th century, and it is an invaluable part of our cultural heritage. Grand Theater is also architecturally significant as it embodies the distinctive characteristics of a large-scale, streamlined, modern building with notable neon sign marquee, and is also representative of the work of two architects of merit, G. Albert Landsberg and S. Charles Lee, both of whom um, were best known for their theater designs. The department believes that the Grand Theater meets established eligibility requirements and that landmark status is warranted. Although altered, um, the building, when the building was converted to retail use, it retains sufficient physical integrity to convey architectural and historical significance. Character-defining features representative of this significance, including interior features that were historically publicly accessible, have been included in the draft ordinance in your packets. 
The department recommends that the HPC approve, the commission approve the recommendation for landmark designation, which will be forwarded to the Board of Supervisors. That concludes my presentation. I'm happy to answer any questions. And I believe um, Barry through the executive director of Gray Area is also here to provide comments. Thank you. Okay, with that. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, my name is Barry Through. I'm the executive director of Gray Area Foundation for the Arts. Uh, we're a 15-year-old uh, nonprofit cultural center and have called the Grand Theater our home for the past nine years. In 2014, we renovated the Grand Theater from a discount convenience store to return it to its original usage as a cultural resource, uh, removing linoleum and obstructions to reveal important architectural features, and this year relighting the original neon signage for the first time in 40 years. The Grand is one of the most versatile and accessible spaces in the Calle Venti Quattro Cultural District, where this year we hosted over 100 events, including our own film, performance, art, education, and exhibition events, welcoming over 40,000 members of the public, as well as events for many local community organizations. Um, the unique architectural features of this building give it a character and life that greatly enhance its values, a community space for us. Uh, this year we paid over 1.8 million to 93 underrepresented or marginalized artists. And according to American for the Arts latest economic prosperity calculator, our cultural usage of the Grand Theater generates 137 jobs, 7 million in local household income, and $240,000 in local tax revenue. Um, given the other historic Mission Street Theater's conversion into parking lots are remaining vacant, we believe that this landmark designation is vital to protecting this cultural resource and our usage. Uh, we hope to remain at Steward for years to come and so support this designation to ensure its continued future for the cultural enrichment of San Francisco. Uh, thank you to Supervisors Ronan's office, uh, Anna Herrera, and planning staff, especially Pilar Lavalle, for the work that's gone into this application. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission on this matter. Good afternoon, Woody Labounty from San Francisco Heritage. This gentleman just explained why these theaters are so important and why they are not obsolete as cultural centers. Uh, we talked about the Alexandria Theater in the past and the Clay Theater. And you'll often hear as they come before you that, oh, people don't go to movies anymore, therefore you need to let us turn this into a retail space or tear down that blade sign. Well, here is an excellent example of the economic benefits and the cultural benefits that these old movie houses still can bring to the city. And we very much support and, uh, and laud uh, this landmark nomination. Thank you. Thank you. Last call for public comment. If you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Seeing no request to speak, public comment is closed and this item is now before you, commissioners. Commissioners, it's a great project. Commissioner Foley. Uh, you know, when, I, when, when you first started speaking about what you did there, and you started talking about taking up linoleum, it reminded me of taking up linoleum at a church that I renovated. And you know, it's pretty grim when you start that process. But uh, I wanna <laughs> applaud what you've done, and I think the metrics that you actually brought to the table are, are stunning. 
And so I applaud you, and I'm, it's, it's really amazing what you're doing there, and it's going to be amazing as you continue your journey there. It's a, it's a very arduous task to restore a building like that and then activate it. So thank you very much. Thank you. Commissioner Wright? Yeah, I just want to echo that and um, say that, that to me it's a, a slam dunk. Um, the use um, uh, as a cultural center is so important to uh, the reuse of the building and to the neighborhood. Um, and yeah, I think it would be great to uh, share as much as we can the economic benefits calculator information that you're using um, with other businesses, um, other theaters, but other businesses um, around San Francisco. Um, and, and then just from a, a strict preservation uh, landmarks perspective, uh, I totally support this. Great. Good comments. Do I hear a motion or any other comments from the commission? Motion to approve. Second. Very good, commissioners. If there's nothing further, there's a motion that has been seconded to adopt a recommendation for approval. On that motion, Commissioner Campbell? Yes. Commissioner Vergara? Yes. Commissioner Wright? Yes. Commissioner Foley? Aye. Commissioner Nagas-Warren? Yes. And Commissioner President Matsuda? Yes. So moved, commissioners. That motion passes unanimously six to zero and will place us on the final item on your agenda today, number eight, case number 2023-00-6744 DES for the Westwood Park entrance gateway and pillars at the intersection of Miramar Avenue and Monterey Boulevard, Boulevard, Miramar Avenue and Ocean Avenue and Judson Avenue and Frida Kahlo Way. Um, this is also a landmark designation. Thank you. Sorry about that. Hi, commissioners. Um, Pilar La Valley Department staff again. Um, I, this was, uh, I believe, Jen Lowe from Supervisor Melgar's office um, is going to be speaking, but I don't think she's arrived yet. Um, so let me just pull up my presentation and I will go ahead and then she can. Um, Good afternoon, commissioners, Pilar La Valley Department staff. As I mentioned, um, this, I, this landmark designation was initiated by the board um, at Supervisor Melgar's um, request. And the item before you today is consideration of recommendation for landmark designation of Westwood Park entrance gateway and pillars in the Westwood Park neighborhood. These features constructed um, in 1916 for Westwood Park developers Baldwin and Howell are eligible for local designation for association with the development of San Francisco's residence parks in the early 20th century. The Westwood Park entrance gateway and pillars located in the public rights of way were designed by renowned architect Louis Christian Mulgart, and they also have architectural significance as examples of public landscape features common to residence park developments and as instances of work of an architect of merit. They are further significant as visual landmarks associated with the Westward Park neighborhood. The department believes that uh, Westwood Park entrance gateway and pillars meet established eligibility requirements and that landmark status is warranted. 
Although altered, these landscape features retain sufficient physical integrity to convey significance. Character-defining features representative of this significance have been included in the draft ordinance in your packets. The department recommends that the commission uh, approve the recommendation for landmark designation, which will be forwarded to the board. That is the end of my presentation. I'm happy to answer questions. Uh, my presentation is short because um, members of the Westwood, Westwood Park homeowners who have, are the proponents of this designation also have a presentation with slides. Um, I believe Kathleen um, was going to be remote. Um, I have her slides and I can bring those up if she is ready to present. Um, she's got like three different entries here. Could you raise one hand, please, Kathleen, so that I can unmute you? Very good. Do the chair, you have five minutes. Yes. Okay, the slides are up, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. I'm Kathleen Vadix with the Westwood Park Association. Sorry, Association. And I know we have a, a limited time, so let's move through. Um, um, Kathleen, I'm going to pause Park. your time here for a second. You should mute your computer so that we don't get the echo. Mute my com Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that better? Um, nope. I don't know if it's better, but go ahead. I think it's because you've got multiple devices devices logged into this, but go ahead. Um, sorry, let's see. Oh yeah, I get that many. Is there anything else I can mute for? Well, why don't I try kicking you out? Okay. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Okay? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, I'll try to run through this very quickly. Uh, the uh, image you see on the screen um, at, at this point is a uh, 1919 uh, map of Westwood Park. Uh, the entrance gates, there were two sets, um, were built at Miramar Avenue and Monterey Boulevard at the top and Ocean Avenue and um, Miramar Avenue at, at the bottom. The Ocean Avenue gates, unfortunately, um, are no longer in existence. Um, the uh, real estate firm of Baldwin and Howell uh, in 1916 uh, developed the uh, Sutra Forest neighborhood uh, as um, a lot of residence parks for middle-class San Franciscans. Bungalow homes were very popular uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and the developers designated about 700 lots for the new bungalows. Uh, in Westwood Park. Uh, more than 650 homes were built in addition to businesses on the north side of Ocean. Um, today, Westwood Park is considered one of the largest bungalow communities uh, on the West Coast. Uh, number slide three. Yeah, this is uh, looking south from the Westwood Park entrance gates down Miramar Avenue from uh, Monterey Boulevard. It's, uh, Westwood Park is one of 36 residence parks proposed or built in San Francisco from 1905 to 1924. 
one of the elements of a residence park was not only a park-like setting, but also the inclusion of visual landmarks such as fountains, benches, statues, and grand entrances. Um, number four is a, um, is, um, a view of West, the West Park entrance gates looking north on Miramar Avenue toward Monterey Boulevard. The next slide, number five, is um, a close-up view of the entrance gates on Miramar and Monterey Boulevard. Number six, um, is, this is renowned architect uh, Louis Christian Volgart, who designed the Westwood Park entrance gates uh, 1916. Uh, just a quick summary about Mulgart. He was hired to design the Westwood Park entrance gate uh, pillars and 128 street lamps. And among other things, uh, Mulgart was one of the principal architects of the 1915 Panama Pacific International Exposition, the 1919 redesign of the De Young uh, Museum, and uh, the infant shelter at Ortega and 19th Avenue, which is now a private French school, and it's also San Francisco landmark number 242. So he was uh, a renowned uh, architect of the era. Of the era. Uh, number seven, uh, this is a 1920s brochure photo of the entrance gates at Miramar Avenue and Ocean Avenue, which unfortunately no longer exist. Um, the, um, they were victims, we think, of, uh, quote, modern upgrades and an increase in traffic. Number eight is a construction photo in Sufro Forest of the, from a 1916 neighborhood brochure showing the Miramar Avenue and Monterey Boulevard entrance gates being built. Number nine, this is the pedestrian crossing at the Westwood Park entrance gates located at Miramar Avenue and Monterey Boulevard. And number 10, pictured here is uh, one of the two barrel vaulted portals with the curved wrought iron grill and lamps mounted above. Um, as you can see, the lamps are mounted at the top of the connected pillars of each portal. In 2000, 2003, the Westwood Park Association received a restoration grant for the Monterey Boulevard entrance gates and surviving pillars from City Beautiful. The Westwood Park Association contributed to the total cost of the restoration, which came to about $50,000. Number 11, this is an example of one of the four surviving freestanding Westwood Park pillars. Uh, number 12, um, um, I wanted to uh, just quickly, probably not all of time, but quickly throw in a quote from Jane Jacobs. Uh, who in her book, The Death and Life of Great American Cities, she wrote, not all city landmarks are buildings. However, buildings are the principal landmarks in cities, and the principles uh, which make them well or ill apply also to most other kinds of landmarks, such as monuments, dramatic fountains, and so on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commission. Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Jen Loeb, Chief of Staff to Supervisor Myrna Melgar. Uh, we are the sponsor of this uh, resolution of intent to landmark uh, the Westwood Park entrance and pillars. And we really would appreciate your consideration. Um, District 7 is home to so many of these historic structures um, that have their original integrity and, and wonderful features. 
Um, and unfortunately, we don't have that many landmarks, and that's something that we would like to change um, because we want to be able to celebrate some of the unique history um, of our resident parks, resident parks and other types of neighborhood characteristics that you know, make San Francisco, San Francisco. And we're really appreciative of the Westwood Park Homes Association for bringing this to our attention. They do walking tours um, for many of our visitors that just don't know many of the residential neighborhoods on the west side of San Francisco. We welcome you to come and visit anytime. And you know, we hope we can do more of these landmarkings and really would appreciate your consideration today. Really appreciate also um, the planning staff's um, wonderful report on this as well. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Woody Labounty from San Francisco Heritage. We support this landmark initiation. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to see these. They're, you have to kind of be on Monterey Boulevard going maybe to St. Francis Wood or West Portal or cutting the other direction, but they're worth a visit to walk around. I really do wish that the barrel vaulting had the sort of hanging roses and vines that I think were attended by Mulgart originally. Um, and I just want to make a quick pitch. I know there's a residence parks context statement that I hope is getting closer to being brought before uh, the commission. Um, and I also lastly want to applaud Supervisor Melgar for bringing this forward and for the inclination to find more landmarks to designate in District 7. There's a lot of them. Thank you. Okay, last call for public comment. You need to raise your hand via WebEx or press star three. Seeing no additional request, oh, yeah, no. Seeing no additional request to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed and this matter is now before you. Great, thank you. Commissioner Vergara. Uh, it's it's the, just amazing to consider how vast Sutral Forest used to be, extending all the way to Ocean Avenue back in the olden days. I would like the record to reflect that the otherwise very thorough and excellent history of the uh, entrance gateway and pillars that's in the proposal we received, it does leave out this ugly little episode in 1920 when the developers and residents of Westwood Park and Westwood Highlands and St. Francis Wood ganged up on the good people of the Sunnyside District and forced them to accept the name change of Sunnyside Avenue to Monterey Boulevard but uh, I'll overlook that and I'll support this proposal. <laughs> Commissioner Argus Warren. Um, I was um, very pleased to see that, um, you know, that within the racial and social equity analysis that uh, included the history of the ex exclusionary policies of these residence parks. Um, and not, you know, it, my take on this is that we ought to learn from history. Um, and I think a lot of people shy away from hearing the broader history because they think that people are being punished again or something or another. But it's the, the history is, is the history. If we don't remember it, it will repeat itself. If we don't learn from it, it will repeat itself. So for, for you know, what we've, you know, what the planning department has done in terms of, you know, identifying racial and social equity issues, um, it is fantastic to see the broader histories of these um, places. 
Um, I think the architecture in itself is fantastic um, to, to see how these places developed. I would love to see, um, you know, uh, along, along with the racial and social equity portion of the case report, it also includes under events um, criterion A, um, the, the description of that as well, which is fantastic. Um, I would love to see in just the general description in the case report um, kind of giving us an update on what is the diversity of that area um, today um, and how has it developed um, because the architecture stands there um, sort of uh, independent of the um, socio, obviously the social economic, you know, has a part to do in it, but it stands there as a remnant and a remembrance of a particular time. And um, it's, it would be nice to see that it has developed into this multicultural area. Um, I think that's an important thing for, you know, uh, you know Supervisor Melgar and also the, uh, you know, um, neighborhood in general to see how it's developed and that improvements are being made and that these are things that we've all benefited from in, the, in having more diversity. So um, I thank you for the well-written report and um, uh, support this um, designation. Thank you, Commissioner Wright. Yeah, I just want to uh, say that I support all of what Commissioner Nagaswaran just said. Uh, Commissioner Rigera. You know, it's interesting too. Uh, I, years ago, I researched the the house that I live in in the Sunnyside District, and that was never uh, a fancy neighborhood from the very beginning. Unlike St. Francis, even that, even my home, the homes in in Sunnyside had restricted racial covenants, which was a revelation to me. We actually study that in in at at my school in our ethnic uh, studies class, uh, and so I uh, again uh, also second what you said, uh, Commissioner. Yeah, I, I also want to thank you for bringing that up, and I was going to bring up that point because when I read that, it wasn't until 1992 that the racial covenants were finally removed. That was not that long ago. Um, and I think to, to you have uh, clearly stated it in your report, but I also think maybe to even see those covenants uh, and see how it has moved from what it was to what it is now. And then as Commissioner Nagaswaran said, the community, the diverse community that is there today uh, really shows that San Francisco has come a long way in terms of che uh, starting to achieve social and racial equity. I do think, as Commissioner Nagaswaran pointed out, that you cannot hide history. History is a fact and we need to learn from it. And in order to learn from it is to really see the raw documents that were published at that time. So thank you for doing this. Thank you, Supervisor Melgar, for bringing it to our attention. And I think we are all supportive of this if I hear a motion. Motion to approve. Second. Very good, commissioners. There is a motion that has been seconded to adopt a recommendation for approval. On that motion, Commissioner Campbell. Yes. Commissioner Vergara. Yes. Commissioner Wright. Yes. Commissioner Foley. Aye. Commissioner Nagaswaran. Yes. And Commissioner President Matsuda. Yes. So moved, Commissioners. That motion passes unanimously six to zero and concludes your hearing today. Thank you.